1: What matters most when deciding individual awards? How do you account for a broken record, or a team's overall success, or a player's position and playing style? Five candidates for this year's NWSL Rookie of the Year Award exemplify some of these dilemmas, and Steph Young is here to talk through it all. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic, and this is Soccer Everyday for Wednesday, August 17th. We talked last week with Steph Young about the state of the NWSL season as it enters its last third or so, and this week, we're doing it again, but this time about something very, very specific. Steph, in this week's NWSL Chaos column, which you co-write with Meg Linehan, YouTube ran through a really really interesting race for a year-end award in the NWSL and it's interesting because it reveals some of the difficulty that comes along with voting for awards like this season-ending rewards explain
2: Um so it's a strong rookie class this year right. and as usual like you said Andrew Russell chaos column You know, the standings are a little chaotic at the moment. They're super tight. Yeah. And so I think that those are all the usual factors that go into it. Um, You know, and I think it's also going to be affected by playoff race. I hate to say it, but recency bias is a thing. And so people tend to weight more recent performances, you know, stronger than stuff that you have to remember from May, which might as well have been two years ago at this point (laughs) for how everyone feels about time. So... Yeah, and I think some of these players are on stronger teams than others. So as much as you wish you could judge each player, like, kind of in a vacuum on their own stats, there are contextual things going on, which some are fairer than others to add into the equation. So, yeah, that's the whole Michigas. So we're
1: going to go through each of the five major candidates you guys uh, identified in the column. Uh, One by one, sort of go over why they should win it, maybe what, you know, some things that count against them. But one thing I noticed right off the bat here, Steph, is that the positional variety is pretty amazing here. We don't have any goalkeepers, but we have pretty much every other position and every kind of type of position on here. Is there any reason with Rookie of the Year, it could be like, uh, has it shown to be like an MVP style situation where defenders end up just getting completely sidelined if you happen to have a forward that scores a lot of goals or an attacking midfielder that's especially especially exciting or something like that?
2: Um, I mean, my gut tells me yes. If we go and look at the actual end of a cell rookies of the year, it's pretty strongly midfielders and forwards. Obviously, the okay. last one was Trinity Rodman. Before that, Bethany Balser, Monty Dorsey, Ashley Hatch. So, you know, I mean, Julie Ertz, then Julie Johnston to get rookie of the year, but again, you know, she had a very prominent role on the field in helping them build the attack, not just on the defensive end. So I think you're right in that in just in soccer in general, and I think in sports in general, people see the flash of goal scoring, but they don't necessarily pay as much attention, or they're not as equipped to interpret like the defensive work.
1: Right. Um, which is interesting as we head into this list of candidates because the player you identify as, sort of the num- that, that, as having the inside track for this award, the number one candidate, is the number one overall draft pick, a defender, Naomi Gurma from the San Diego Wave. Uh, why do you think she's such a strong candidate for this award? And why do you think maybe she won't win it and some of these other four candidates might have a chance?
2: I mean, I want to start off the top by saying it's because she's a really good center back. And in sure. order to stand out as a center back, you have to be really good. That's that's how Becky Sauerbund stood out, where we were just like, oh, she's really good. Sometimes it's because everybody else around you is bad, so you have to be really good. But in this yeah. case, like I wanted to start off by saying it's good before I get into other contextual factors, which is one of them being that the Wave themselves are also good, and they're an expansion team, so they're getting a lot of attention for being good. They're currently third. They're tied for second with a dash on 25 points. And number one is Thorns at 28. So you can see how tight that race is. Right. Kansas City Kern are also on 25 points. Rainer on 24. That's crazy. But the wave being this good, this fast, and then you look at Nomi Girma, it's like, oh, she's a good player standing out on a good team. And I think you have to admit that national team attention plays into it as well. Mm-hmm. She and Alana Cook are both, you know, getting a lot of time being rotated in at center back for the national team. We just saw this in CONCACAF qualifiers. And so is it fair to other players in NWSL who are performing well, but don't necessarily get national team attention for a variety of reasons? Maybe not, but it is the reality.
1: Moving to the opposite end of the field... Uh, one of those forwards that uh, get all the attention and the glory, Diana Ordonez, in this case, rightfully getting a lot of uh, attention and glory this week, uh, especially with the North Carolina Courage, because she broke the rookie scoring record with her eighth goal of the season. Um, But the Courage having, overall, not the best season. Uh, They're at the bottom of the table right now. Will that team underperformance count against her, in your opinion?
2: That's an interesting question, because it it probably will count against her, but it might also, oddly enough, highlight her, right? Because if everybody's doing so badly and you're counting, so currently they have 23 goals, so eight of them, she is 25% of their goal scoring (laughs) as a rookie. That's nuts. So, yeah, it might weirdly, it reminds me of, uh, I think, Alyssa Nair when she was playing with the Boston Breakers, got goalie of the year or something like that, and the Boston Breakers were not... Good that year, but that was why Nair was highlighted because she had to face. Yeah, it was twenty fourteen. She had to face so many shots, so people got to see her a lot. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, it's just wild to me because breaking the rookie scoring record in almost any other context in most of most other leagues in most other sports where there is a rookie scoring record to break would put you pretty automatically on the inside track to rookie of the year. That does not appear to be the case here, though she stands a pretty good shot. Moving on to Racing Louisville's midfielder Savannah DeMello. She leads the league in dribbles. She's got two goals on the season. But again, team not doing great. Racing Louisville currently ninth as we record. What are your thoughts on Savannah DeMello here?
2: I really like Savannah DeMello. I think she's a a really good, solid player having to come in and kind of take up a lot of organizational responsibility in Racing Louisville this season. I am a little concerned because the head coach of racing, um, Kim Bjorkegren, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, talked yeah. about how they just brought in Wang Shuang and he said she's a lot like Savannah DeMello. And I'm like, uh oh. So does that mean you see them as a complementary pair or do you see them as like a one for one exchange? Wang Shuang's only had 30 minutes, so we'll see how they use her in the future when they're not playing down to 10, um, desperately trying to defend.
1: Everyone has the option to talk to a real person
0: anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me.
1: Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on, another forward that I think is a little, an interesting case study in another sense. Elise Bennett for the Kansas City Current, she's got three goals this season, some solid performances, but most of those performances have come as a substitute. She's not a 90-minute player for the Current. Do you think that just automatically sort of pr- will prevent her from, from being a serious contender for this award?
2: Maybe, yes. Like, like we said, recency bias matters. Being seen matters. Right. So... You know, even if she's doing all the big and little things right, which I think she mostly is. I think she's playing. She's settled in pretty well. She doesn't really look super like a rookie. Um, Mm. I think she fits in pretty well with the current right away as a pro. Yeah, even then, getting full 90s would help her case. But we still got the last third, last quarter of the season to go. And the current look like they might be a playoff team.
1: Right. Uh and again, at the complete opposite end of the playing time uh, spectrum, you have Portland Thorns defensive midfielder, Sam Coffey, a 90-minute player most games, based on what I've seen, but very much not the most glamorous position. Uh, she plays as a defensive midfielder for, uh, for them. And I think it's interesting, a stat that was pointed out in the column, 82.7% passing accuracy, which puts her up around central defenders who traditionally make a lot of like safe short passes, but she's playing in the midfield. The Thorns are playing great. Like you said, they're on top of the league. But she doesn't feel like a really strong candidate for this award despite all, this, all these great performances. Why do you think that is?
2: I think it's the factors we talked about before, which is that defensive players or people with more defensive responsibilities who aren't necessarily closer to goal sometimes fly under the radar. If you're a defensive midfielder and you're not a Julie Ertz type who's out there making bone-crunching, game-saving plays, then you can also fly under the radar. Um, Not having to make those plays usually means your team is doing fine. You don't want to have to be doing that as a defensive mid. Um, And I think that is something kind of the flip of the Diano Ordonez situation where Ordonez is a great player on a team that kind of stinks right now for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons. Coffee is a great player on a team that's number one surrounded by a bunch of like, when you're playing behind Sophia Smith, like you kind of tend to fade a little bit from the dazzle going on up front (laughs) through no fault of your own, just Sophia Smith being that good, that sort of thing. So, it's the converse, right? Where being on a good team that looks like a strong playoff contender to win a championship kind of skunks your chances a little bit.
1: So we've talked a lot about different philosophies for how to vote for awards like this. Everybody has sort of their own personal feelings. What are yours? Like, as you look at these five, which which direction are you going now? Which, bear in mind, is not the direction you have to go at the end of the season. Right. Right.
2: <laughs> I do think it's fair to take into account the level of talent around you because it's easy to look good when everyone else around you looks good. It's Mm -hmm. a lot harder to look good when everyone else around you is really struggling. I do think that where your team ends up matters. Like, and I try to look at the rookies overall contribution, like they might have looked really good, but their contribution might have only been 2% compared to another rookie making 30% of a team's contribution, that sort of thing. Um. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really trying to balance out like their individual performance. It's so hard with soccer, right? It's the same thing with any award. Individual performance, but within the team context.
1: Right. With 11 players on the field, it's hard to identify one that, that stands out. Um, lastly tonight, Steph, we have a bit of midweek NWSL action. As Houston Dash hosts Gotham FC, Gotham just fired their head coach, Scott Parkinson, last week. Uh, They have a new interim in place, but Steph, they're near the bottom of the table. What needs to change in that organization? Not just to finish this season strong, hopefully, uh, but also to set them up well to maybe have some success going forward.
2: That's a really great question that I think Gotham themselves are really searching hard for the answer to. I think if you look at their last game, you can see some of the answers that they're formulating there where they were willing to look at more players for more minutes. Um, I know a lot of fans have hung their hats on Jen Cujo as someone who needs more time in the midfield, and I agree with them. I don't know if defensive midfield is necessarily where she should be more instead of closer to goal, but that's up to new interim head coach Hugh Menzies who hopefully uh, we'll get to talk to you more about his philosophy. He wasn't available immediately after the last game because it was his very first game, so it was more uh, assistant coach Bev Yanez who really emphasized things like staying together in the locker room and mentality. So that mentality thing is also going to be a big piece. Like, can Menzies come in and kind of get everyone to try again? Because as much as I like the players, you could see in some of the plays where they got scored on, they kind of gave up.
1: Well, they'll face a stern challenge tonight as they face the Dash, who are challenging for that top spot in the league and looking pretty good while doing it. We'll talk to you, I'm sure, in future weeks, Steph, about uh, more NWSL chaos, maybe more awards, more differing philosophies. But until then, thank you for coming on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me on. I really hope I survive to talk to you about the chaos in the future. (laughs)
1: Before we go, your TV guide for today, as usual, all times are Eastern, and it's a jam-packed day, actually. In the Champions League, we have at 12.45 p.m. Cadebag versus Victoria Pilsen. That'll be on Paramount+. Plus. And Tuda N A. This is, of course, the last qualifying round to determine who makes it into the group stage of the Champions League. At 3 p.m., we have two games, but the one I would recommend watching is Dinamo Kiev versus Benfica. That will be on Paramount Plus and Tuda N A. as well. Later on tonight, we have a ton of games all around North America, including in MLS. At 7:30 p.m., at Atlanta United versus New York Red Bulls. That'll be on ESPN Plus. Another game that I think is kind of interesting is 9 p.m. Dallas versus Philadelphia Union two teams with having very good seasons also on ESPN Plus or your local network if you happen to live in either of those markets there are a few other games that could be interesting as well including at 7:30 p.m. Toronto FC versus New England Revolution if you happen to want to see Toronto FC's Italian Revolution and how that's uh, taking place that, too, will be on ESPN. All these MLS games, by the way, if you're in Canada, will be available on the Zone. It's also a big night in Liga Amekis. At 8 p.m., Toluca versus Monterey. That will be on TUDN and Unimas. And then at 10.05 p.m., Pachuca versus America. That will be on TUDN and Unimas as well. Those are two big games uh, with a lot of uh, intrigue near the top of the table in Liga Amekis. Last, but of course not least, the game we mentioned before at 8.30 p.m., Houston Dash versus New York, New Jersey, Gotham FC. That'll be on CBS Sports Network. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic. And you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.